Welcome to After the Deluge, I'm Justin Cox. White Crosses is Against Me's fifth studio album and their second and final on the major label Sire Records. It was released on June 8th, 2010, but it got leaked a few months before that. It peaked at 34 on the Billboard 200. I'm one of those people who mostly skipped this one upon its release. I didn't dislike New Wave, but it did manage to tamp down my once devout obsession with the band, I think. Uh, When I went back to it a few years later, with zero pressure and zero baggage, I realized I loved it. Uh, My entry point was Black Crosses, the sort of demo version of these songs, which I think helped me realize that underneath whatever this record sounds like, the songs are just excellent. And I came to love White Crosses just as much. I think even as this band was shooting for something big with this record, they were also kind of firing one last antagonistic bullet at the longtime fans who gave them so much shit over the years. And this part right here in particular is doing a lot of work. I'll be honest, I don't think I really needed it at the time, but I also get it. I also get the like punctuation mark that's being stamped in when the band drops out and she says that. I get it. My guest today is Christopher Norris, who makes art under the name Steak Mountain. He won't say it, but he's an important figure at the intersection of punk music and visual art, and he will design all of the Against Me records from this point forward. I would describe Christopher as like the opposite of a self-help guru type guy. He's designed iconic records and hosted art shows, but does not consider himself an artist. He's written two novels, but he doesn't consider himself an author. He's not manifesting anything bigger than what he's doing now, and he does not feel like he will explode if he does not express himself artistically. But deep in the bowels of this outlook that he has, you might find something inspiring or at the very least admirable. I do. I know that. Or he'll just piss you off, and I think he'd be fine with that too. Uh, I'm currently working on the zine that will accompany this season, and a few of the major people in Against Me's early history have been in touch about contributing some cool stuff. Um, I hope that all comes together. Shout out to Jordan Kleeman and Brian Wynott, if I pronounce that correctly. If you would like a zine all about Against Me in this season of the show, check out patreon.com slash after the deluge. I'm excited that this thing's starting to come together. As we bop over to my interview with Christopher, um, this one is far from a track-by-track analysis of the record, and I think we're all better for that. We totally get into the songs, but if you want to hear more of them, you should dive in after you listen to the episode. Here is my conversation with Christopher Norris, a.k.a. Steak Mountain, whose new book, The Holy Day, is out now on Rose Books. Do you share the same sense? Christopher Norris, welcome. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. It's it's funny. I I I was like loosely aware of you, and then I think after I talked to Dan Ozzy, somehow we connected on on the internet, and then I like went in. That was the the moment that I realized the degree to which you intersect with this band. Sure. I'm curious how that came to be because this this happens around White Crosses. What was your familiar familiarity with them prior? as a fan or or fellow from Florida and then how does this come to be well i actually have wor- i worked with them a good many years before i um my relationship with the band starts in about 
2004, 2005, I did a, um, my band, I was in a band called Combat Wounded Veteran, which was on No Idea, obviously against me. Started on No Idea. Against Me was rising in the ranks and it was not the kind of punk music that I liked. And their esteem was growing and people who I was friends with, like Patty from Dillinger 4 and stuff were like, and other kind of like punk bands that I was friends with were like, oh man, Against Me, dude, like fucking sick, Florida. And I was like, dude, that band fucking sucks, dude. <laughs> like... I hate the whole playing on buckets and the fucking acoustic guitar. And I couldn't like fucking, I couldn't like folk anarcho punk more like less rather. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it, it was part of like kind of the bit and I would always kind of goof on them as a band. And uh, then somewhere in there a little bit, but a couple of years before that we were in uh, combat and reversal of man were on tour in Baltimore and, and Baltimore was a, a guy named Jordan Kleeman and Jordan Kleeman put out the crime EP and, you know, yep. so he booked our show and we stayed with them and, you know, he was kind of attached to that, that, that band too. And I, over the years, whatever I goofed on against me and when they um, were moving to fat VAR at no idea, knowing that I was not a fan at all. Um, and he was like, you know, it'd be funny if you didn't against me seven inch. Cause we have, a, we've agreed to do a couple seven inches as like a parting gift essentially okay so he had me do the sink floor to sink seven inch which is two gingerbread men fighting and when yeah. you open it a bunch of candy shoots out so that was the first thing i did and laura loved it laura and i started talking and 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 i was like oh i, I like this person you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. I, I i'm getting along with this person and and i kind of knew james as well because james was like uh part of like the tampa st petersburg like punk hardcore community he was more like a st pete kid so i knew who james was and we shared friends uh a girl that i had been dating at the time she'd gone to school with warren so like these guys started becoming far mm -hmm. more in my viewpoint like i was like oh i kind of know all these idiots you know what i mean <laughs> like you know so i was like oh okay sure and then laura and i started getting along really well and then I started doing shirts and tour posters and some stuff like that. And then I didn't do clarity. They got somebody who's actually a good designer to do uh, searching for a form of clarity. And then <laughs> come on, come on. Well, I mean, you know, it is a nice looking record. It's a very it's a, clean. It's a, it's a very aesthetically. Yeah. It's, it's doing a certain thing. Yeah. And I can't remember his name now for some reason, but he, he was, he's a very clean, good designer. And so, and I had been doing, you know, work, uh, with punk hardcore records as Steak Mountain. I worked, I did, you know, stuff for Adam and his package. I did stuff for my band. So I'd been making a kind of a name for myself in Florida, doing a very specific kind of art. And I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed in that, in your run into the ground, friends of this show conversation about like this kind of flip on what a hardcore record cover typically looked like and what y'all were yeah. doing, what you were doing. Yeah. Like it, it was really cool. And it was cool the way you talked about it. Like, you were doing this thing and this thing felt different and then you kind of can make a style of it, but that there was this, I think you said it like in other places around the country, a similar thing was kind of happening. It was like, yes, not planned, but zeitgeisty or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So like the locust in, in the San Diego scene was happening and that was shared in aesthetic, but also like Fort Thunder and lightning bolt and Providence, Rhode Island, they were kind of doing work that was like that. 
And also like kind of like the grandfather of it all, the father of it all is um, Sam McFeeters and Neil Burke, who were doing Men's Recovery Project at the time. And Sam was in Born Against and Neil Burke was just a weirdo. And their art was like kind of everything was like kind of happening at once. And we were all kind of doing these silly, goofy things, you know, yeah. that were not, you know, like nuclear charred children in a field with a tank next to it and some fucking stencil <laughs> letters. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that kind of art. I love punk art. I love that kind of art. But I just it didn't um, resonate with me at the time. And I was really into like you know, comics and Gary Panter and Pee Wee's Playhouse. And I really Love. loved like Rob Zombie's artwork for White Zombie when they were early on, which is this, yeah. this cartoonish kind of stuff. So I was just kind of coming at, at it from a different angle once combat started and I started making like art for records. And um, flash forward about, I think it's 2004, 2005. I'm pretty sure that's around the era. Yeah, Laura and I just started getting along and, and I started doing t-shirts and I started becoming more kind of, soaked into the team and then as you get to know these people a little bit uh what's happening in the on in the background with how you feel about the music what i feel about the music then and i and what i feel about the music now is is that like it's not music i like but in a world of bands that came out of florida that had a certain sound or bands that were kind of all also kind of like a wave of bands that were like this Bands that definitely listened to Leatherface, bands that definitely listened to Tom Waits, bands that definitely listened to the Pogues. You know what I mean? Yeah. I all that music sounds disgusting to me. But <laughs> in a world of cargo pants, like Florida fucking like punk music that has a very certain kind of like homey warmth, against me is the best of those bands. Love that. Love that. Like, you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> even like Hot Water or The Draft or Off With Their Heads or any of these bands that they're peers with. Like against me is the best band because Laura is the best songwriter, you know, as the most interesting Ding, song, yeah. you know, and as a, a very peculiar way of uh, writing lyrics and how, how she translates those lyrics, how she sings those lyrics. And yep. it's very, it's all got a very good phrasing. So do I like the band? Do I bump the band? No, but I respect the craft and I've kind of always been in that position, you know? Yeah, And I know when the records are good and I know when the records aren't as good as they could be, you know, and there's a couple yeah. of those. And so as I'm getting to know them, I'm definitely giving it more of a benefit of the doubt and more of an understanding. And I'm growing that respect, Yeah, you know, especially once we start moving into what comes after clarity. Does that go to new wave? Right. Yep. Is there a record? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so then they signed to Sire. And I was kind of involved in that to a certain degree. I'd given some ideas. I'd pitched, you know, a record cover or two. And then Laura just did that, that Panther, you know, mm -hmm. she was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of the cover. And I was like, all good. Could have used that Warner brothers money, but I understand, <laughs> you know, cause like that's when record labels still paid for records, like right. sick design. I mean, it probably was going to be a pretty nice payday. And and then um, kind of off shooting from that, Laura was like, well, why don't you do a shirt for every song on the record? So there's whatever, like 12 songs on that record. So I did a design for everything and I got, and we did, we did, you know, we fucked around and did shit like that on the record. And then I started doing tour posters and then I started doing things for fat, like, you know, the cowboy demos and the clarity demos. And mm -hmm. I started, you know, and then we get to white crosses right after that and then it was just like i was so ingrained in the creative team and the process 
with Laura, us working very symbiotically because we kind of had pitched it like, you know, we wanted to have a relationship like uh, Puss had had with Metallica for shirts in the early years or cool. or G Voucher had for Crass. Like I was creating an aesthetic legacy. Cool. You know, that you knew like a records era by the merch that was surrounded by it that, you know, what whatever, tour posters, stuff like that. So when we got to White Crosses, I I was I was just batter up. There was just no way I wasn't not doing the record cover and everything surrounding it. And I think that obviously Sire and Warner Brothers had like big high hopes for White Crosses. It's record two on a major label, like a two record major label deal, right? And the first yep. one, the backdrop seems like it's the first one was critically well received, commercially sort of well received, but it in order for it to pay off, it's like this one had to fucking do it right if, yeah if it, it had to, to hit it yeah yeah it had to hit, it had to, it had to hit numbers it had to not fuck around and just be like a critical darling yeah um which it didn't <laughs> it didn't yeah no but that's you know it, it happens um i think the record itself is it's the record i like the most of their records um because i just like i really like how commercial of a record it is I think I think you're getting at something like I, I'm my background is that I went to New Wave, had all my complicated feelings about New Wave. Sure. And then whatever, whatever organic, natural thing happens, I just straight up kind of didn't listen to this when it came out. And it was one that I yeah. came back to. And the combination of those two things are that when I go back to it and I think I came back to it via Black Crosses from a friend or something and yeah. then into I fucking love this record. And I think maybe it's it's so committed to. It, it's not as conflicted in what it needs to be. It just is this shiny produced record full of catchy punk songs. Absolutely. It's a big sounding record. It sounds clean. Um, it's still got teeth. Uh, it, it just, it, it's, it's uh, to me, it's, it's, it's the band's like best record is, is it their masterpiece? No, that's, you know, transgender dysphoria blues. That's a true masterpiece of a record because it has something to say and it's a cool record. Yep. And truthfully speaking, my art for it is some of the best art I've ever done. So I'll, there's a trifecta, you know what I mean? And that while we're here right now, can we parenthetically like go to that? Because that is that's straight up iconic piece of art. In, in Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about like what's oh, on no. these covers and things like that. Um, no, but... I'm, I'm down. No, I that is funny because so in 2005, there's a combat wounded veteran discography called uh, This Is Not an Erect All Red Neon Body that was a collection of all of our singles. And in that, there was an illustration of a solid cube of meat with a nipple on it. And then in 2011, I had an art show with uh, Heather, who was Laura's wife in mm -hmm. L.A. We had a, a you know two-person show. And I created... She did like the Alkaline Trio art, right? Yes. Yeah. She she worked for Alkaline Trio. And so we had an art show together in LA and in, in Chinatown. I can't remember what the gallery is called. Oh, POV Gallery. And I had done a incredibly, not photorealistic, but photorealistic, essentially what you see on the cover of, of, of Dysphoria Blues. Um, and I had gotten printed as giant prints that really like sea prints that were really nice. And mm -hmm. Laura was like... Laura was like, uh, I want to buy that. And I was like, okay, yeah, of course. Sure. You know, a friend discount, you know, here's a handshake and give me like a Taco Bell gift card. I don't know. So like <laughs> how Laura and I's working relationship on records has always been when I did this and some of the other ones, um, Shapeshift and, and, and even her solo record is that 
couple months before, Laura's like, we got a record, start thinking of ideas. And I go through the process of coming up with ideas and we're seeing what works and what doesn't work. And then Laura will be like, Laura will either be like, oh, wait, I have something I want you to use. Or she will be like, um, what have you been working on that's not against me? And I'll just show her something random. Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, oh, that's the record cover. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> wish you would have asked me that on the fucking first day. Cause like we could have, we could have just got a record cover. And that's actually how white crosses came about too. But with uh, transgender dysphoria blues, like we had done a bunch of things and I took it really seriously because of, because of what it meant to her right. more seriously, I think than any of their, their other records in the sense that, you know, obviously there's this camaraderie and a friendship and I'm also getting paid, but this was something real you know yeah. what i mean it wasn't just another punk record complaining about how people hate them and uh, or you know what i mean <laughs> you know this is like a this is like a, re- a real life thing that meant something to her so i was very like "Ooh, i can't just xerox a skull for this dude like what do we do it so i did a lot of runs at it and i had completely forgot that she had bought that and um and she was like okay all this stuff is cool what about just using this and I was like, oh, yeah, we should probably just do that because it actually fits with the record's theme and it's a very weird thing and we could do something very spare, like spare, but interesting. And I was really, we were like, wow, this is awesome. You know, it, it feels the way it feels the way like a political against me lyric sounds as <laughs> as it relates to what that cover is to that record you know it's not saying something so it's not like choosing to treat you like a child and tell you something so obviously but it's sitting right there to connect with the subject matter of that record in the way like my comparison a lot is like against me singing about anarchy or the government or something like that versus when anti-flag does it and you're like sort of like Okay, we get it. We get it. Anti-flag, like yeah, we we get it. So I, I, it's just a really <laughs> and that and that ended up working out for him. Great anti-flag. So, cool, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's a cool record cover. It's definitely when people say, and I actually just had done an interview recently. Somebody, the the, the interviewer was like, "You shit on your legacy quite a bit, but is there anything that you like that you've done? You know?" And this is definitely one of like a few things that I think is actually very good, rather than just being like. It's a punk record or whatever, (laughs) you know, I'm not bad at what I do. I'm not saying that. I just like, you know, not everything's a hit. Most things are just like serviceable and look good, but aren't like, Oh my fucking God. Like in this to me, that, that one is very much like that. But with white crosses, that's the process we went through. We, we did a bunch of stuff. I, I don't even remember some of the other record covers we tried. And then Laura was like, what are you, what have you been fucking around with? at home and i don't do much of personal art for myself i if i'm not on the job i'm not well, i'm not making art but yeah. i think around the time of new in between new wave and white crosses i was a little bit more serious about steak mountain and i thought i was going to be able to turn it into something i had just moved to san francisco for a couple of years i was working a cool job and i was kind of feeling more on the upswing that's obviously before the whole, the true bottom falling out of major label, you know, and bands making money and paying you like a good enough wage to even do a t-shirt, you know? And so I was a little bit more serious about it then. I had been melting. I had been taking old pictures of like from beefcake magazines and pinup magazines. And I was scanning them into Photoshop and, and just melting them 
with like the smudge tool yeah, and like yeah. Xeroxing them and putting grain on them and trying all these things. Cause I was just, you know, fucking around with it. And then Laura was like, well, what do you got? And, and, and I showed her a bunch of those. And at this point in time, obviously the master design of like what she's going through is playing heavy is it weighing mm-hmm. heavy on her, but she's not ready to tell everybody. Right. So I think that the art that I was showing her of these melted bodies resonated Damn. in some way to what she was going through. And she was like, these are the images I want. And I was like, Oh, okay, well Damn. let's do it. And then the design process there was like, we were obviously kind of inspired here and there. Like uh, we loved uh, like the crass uh, things that you would see where there was just like lyrics really big on squares or whatever, you know, and you'd see, I can't even reference it now because I haven't looked at a crass record in 15, mm-hmm. probably 20 years or whatever, since we, did white crosses. I uh, know it's not 20 years ago, but you know what I mean? So it's been a minute. So then we were like, oh, let's take lyrics and do that. And we built this whole thing out and we had a budget to do it. I got paid a fuck of a lot of money to do the record. You got some sire money. I got some sire money. It was idiotic. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's what you're going to pay me? Cause I'm not used to that. Hell yeah. Um, And that was sick. And it just really, uh, was kind of like where we landed on as far as the art on the record. And then we we had to go through some trials and tribulations with Sire that were annoying. Like I'm not I don't love that the band's name and record title are on the cover. I don't yeah. th- I think it looks I think it looks clunky. And I think I would have loved it smaller, but it's we went through big. a couple of yeah, it's pretty big and it just doesn't look right. And Laura and I went through some iterations, but I think that this was, she was happy with it. Sire was happy with it. But then as far as like the art cover on the card on the cover goes, because it was an image that we took, I had to change a lot. I had, I had to deal with their legal department and they were like, um, show us the original image. And then they were like, basically like quantifying how much I had changed to right. see how le- legal it would be to, we could use an image of a woman who was probably dead that didn't come from like a playboy. It definitely came from some spank mag from like the forties, you know, that I had in my collection of dirty, dirty ephemera. And, and, and I, they were like, okay, um, okay. Uh, this, this vase here, can you delete that? And can you delete part of the flowers and can you melt this? And the ones I did all that, they were like, okay, they signed off on the record. It was really arduous. Rippy. Dang. And, yeah. And I was like, really like, I, can we just do a different fucking record cover then? Cause like, this is annoying to me. Cause for this me, the, this is the record cover designer version of the major label tinkering with your, your, your songs. 100%. And, and I, I didn't mind kind of playing the game because it was an experience. And anybody who's ever worked with me can tell you that like, you don't get multiple passes with me. You actually get the fucking art that you get. Okay. But you know what I mean? I'm not like really like, I'm not a good collaborator. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not fun to work with. Like <laughs> I'm usually like, uh, here's your cover. And they're like, Ooh, yeah. Could you change something? I'm like, no, because I'm getting paid $5. Right. And I don't like your band. And you know, like, so, um, <laughs> but with Sire, I was obviously getting paid a lot of money on that record. I got paid a lot of money and, and I, I liked the idea of playing the game. Like I know what a trap shit like that is but I had had enough road behind me and knew that there was probably road ahead of me that I could go ahead and see what fucking with 
a major label and their bullshit was like yeah experience it yeah they experience it because i don't mind that because like who cares dude it's just whatever that's terrible today won't be terrible tomorrow you know what i mean because you just and in reality if you like step back and and like fully fully soberly look at it like it is an image that existed in another thing and they are a, per, a an organization with money they actually could be on the hook for for some shit if they didn't of, right of course somebody's you know fucking grandchild or whatever is like oh that's my fucking great nanny with her tits out <laughs> like you know and like so i understand it and they're not incorrect at all and maybe if it was more of a generic cover, maybe it was like just another fucking leopard crawling through the fucking black jungle or something like that with the band name on it, like fucking the Panther yeah. head, maybe there wouldn't be so much pushback. But I I, I kind of liked the pushback, I, even though I didn't like the pushback, but I liked seeing, you know, I liked the, the going under the hood and yeah, seeing yeah. No, cool. the bullshit that you kind of experience. Um, and again, it didn't really matter because... <laughs> The money was good, so I, I can't argue. I can't fucking argue. see if i can articulate something that like when you said that she responded in a specific way to these images that you had and and mm. maybe for reasons that were going to reveal themselves on the next record completely sure like in the lead up to say this record it's all this stuff of signing to fat records and signing to sire records and and a, and sort of like you said a, a songs about being mad at their fans and and all of that and kind of wrestling with who they are and their values sure. and all that <laughs> And then by the time you get to this record, you kind of have a bunch of subtle, more personal allusions to that feeling. And then on this record, you get, I was a teenage anarchist. You just have like, I'm, we're spelling it out in literal terms. It's fucking right here. We're telling you exactly the thing. Transgender Dysphoria Blues comes next. That's the, like, there's there's a set of breadcrumbs leading up to that that are uh, alluding to what is going to come. And then Transgender Dysphoria Blues is the, I'm telling you all of it, one. Whereas there's like, there's half dozen songs on the records leading up to it. That, and as you're talking, like this record cover that are like obliquely coming at it. And by the next mm -hmm. one, they're all the way at it. Truthfully speaking, in, in all of Laura's career, I, I don't think that there's a better song than The Ocean. Love I think song. that that's, that's the best song on that record. It's the best song of her, you know, for me personally, it's 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 the best song that she's written. Um, it's such, such a cool song and it's unlike anything that came before it and anything that truthfully came after it, just in how it's structure, it's pace, it's thoughtfulness, it's it's everything about it, the space inside of that song is really interesting to me. And at the time, 
I had told her and I probably told James and Andrew and and, and Warren or, or whoever would listen about the record, even management surrounding it at the time that I was like, that's an against me song from 10 to 15 years from now. Right. Like this is not a song. This is like a future song. And that's, what's so cool about it. It's like, when you watch a fucking, when you watch something like uh, Reservoir Dogs into Pulp Fiction into Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown on in Tarantino's filmography is a sixty-year-old's film. It is not a thirty-one-year-old's film. It's a very mature song, mature record. Yeah, I mean, record. Sorry, movie. Yeah. After two like fuck arounds, and obviously then into Jackie Brown, he goes back to being a twelve-year-old again. But like, <laughs> and that's what I saw in the ocean. I was like, these. This is a song that is like an, a very mature song from the future. This is an old person's song. Yeah, and I thought that was so fucking cool. It's a great, it's a great final song before the encore. It's like the song that you play at the end of your set, but you know you're coming back to play, you know, songs about throwing fucking whatever rocks through a fucking Starbucks window or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. like it's a good final song, but it's such a good final song on a record. It's really like a just a, a just a great, great song, a great yeah. guitar music song. You know, so. Um, I don't want to speak like ignorantly about art, but like, did it strike oh. you as like? reinventing axel rose this is hard lines and then you have like an image of the shirt with the band name on it like the eternal cowboy then you have this yeah. palm tree and then you have new wave the panther these things all feel kind of like stark in what they are whereas this one feels more what am i looking at like more i don't know if abstract is the right word but did no that's it what what were your feelings about like this as an against me cover this visual this thing like i think just because it wasn't planned i i mean i think i was working on stark before this came about you know right. i think i was look, working on very punk very xeroxy work i i'm 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 pretty sure i was my 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 archives are not great so i was like trying to go through a couple of things to see if i'd had any examples of what we worked on before and i i didn't but i think just by nature of what it is and because it's a photograph i didn't take that i just fucking ruined it becomes more lush and more human and a little bit different but it's still a black and white record cover with yeah yeah this a warm side of the spectrum logo on it <laughs> you know what i mean like for sure so um so i don't know if it's much of a drive but it could be seen just like this record is and not cynically at all but like a uh a bid to become more commercial the notion of this record cover becoming looking more human kind of matches the intent of the record which is to get on the radio even though we're, we're using a naked person this one feels more uh fleshed out because there's a bunch of flesh on the cover and it's a photo even though again we're still saying fuck you because we're just melting naked bodies and that's not commercial. And truthfully speaking, like what it's a cool, it's a cool image and it's a cool cover, but like I, I look at it and, and it's kind of like, it's kind of nothing, you know, like I look at it and go, ah, there's like nothing exciting about it to me, even though it's my image. And I know I talk shit about my art a lot, but I mean, he just even based like uh, divorcing myself from that, like on the flip, like fast forward a couple of years later, I'm doing shape shift with me. Like, I think that that cover is not a good cover, but I think that image is really strong, you know? And so <laughs> like, I think our- You're a complex fella. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I just think like, I just don't, I just don't think I did a good job. And I think where we landed on that record cover, like later on, I think we we're, we just, I, I think we biffed it. I think the image is cool. Some sub licking some candy cane boots. That's hilarious. Yeah, but cool. like, I just don't like the way it's laid out. I It's just- 
the whole thing feels like not a failure to me, just not, not one, not one of the good ones, you know? And, yeah. um, but white crosses, I just like, to me, it doesn't have like, and it's not necessarily what I like about art in general, but it's just like, I feel like there's something missing and I don't know what it is. People reacted really well. People do love the cover. And like, I think for some people it takes a second and that's interesting. Well, I think that you is know? interesting. I've, I've been staring at it often. I don't need to actually, I think the Panther is, is rad. I don't yeah. need to look at it that much, you know, it's right sure. there for me. Whereas this, I have like, is she okay? That's, is she on like, I mean, maybe you could tell me like, is she on a, on a counter looking into like a mirror where she would do makeup, but just facing away from it. Is it's that... a vanity. Yeah. She's right. on, she's leaning against her vanity with the mirror and everything like that. But just obviously, you know, being like, I'm naked. So, <laughs> <laughs> Cause it came from an old porn rag, you know, from like the late forties, early fifties. Did any any of your art you were doing before Laura came to you and said, this image, I love this. Did any of that include crosses that were white? I'm sure it did. Um, I think we were just very much like, well, you can't call this thing white crosses without white crosses. <laughs> you know, like we're just. You did it. You, you know, it, you know, yeah, there's there's plenty of white crosses in, in the in the actual record. But ultimately, yeah, I think I think a lot of it did uh, have it. And obviously we still use some of it for the record, but. Yeah, I'm trying to like remember what the I I think even this record cover had some some title treatments that had more white crosses in it, and we tried yeah. some a different kind of. You know, I think maybe we even tried it where if they were gonna, you know, I think I did a version where we were gonna like at least have something if the label was gonna come at us and be fucking babies. We were like, okay, well maybe that's just a piece of the naked woman in a cross. You know, right. so it's like cut out in black and then you open the record and you see the real image. Like, I think we had a different couple different versions that we tried to uh, try White Cross. I mean, you just can't fuck around. I mean, it's what it's called. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm like an easy lay like that. You're going to call your your record something like that. I'm, I promise you, I'm not going to be that uh, abstract about it. I'm going to give you some fucking White Crosses. So, so bombing into like some of the, the the songs, the sound of the record, everything like that. Like maybe you're not drawn to like some super shiny pop punk music, but maybe you're not also drawn to like people banging on buckets with beards and car hearts and stuff like that in Florida either. Is there sort of just like white crosses? I was a teenage anarchist because of the shame. Like these songs just grab you, you know, like out, out the yeah. gate. To me, it's the biggest sounding record they ever did because I know that the money is, you know, the money is in the record. You can hear it. Yeah. And I think bringing Butch in to do it again and maybe having just the understanding that everybody, you know, you did you did New Wave and it sounded cool and it sounded good and it sounded like a good record because Butch Vig is a good producer. But I think, again, like this record needed to be like every I think everybody's viewpoint was, was like we need to make a commercial record. And I just like that it's their pop record. It's not their pop punk record. This is not a punk record. This is a fucking rock record. This is a pop rock record. We were young, heartbreakers, estranged from the wealthy parents. 
I think that that's cool. Like, I think it sounds great. And the person who likes cleanliness and order that's somewhere inside of me just likes it. I think the songs are great. And I think things like White Crosses and I think uh, Spanish Moss yeah. are great songs. But I, I don't think there's anything on this that's like, there's nothing on this record that I think it like stinks. You know what I mean? Like I said, it's like my esteem and my understanding of the band and my respect for Laura's craft and, and the and the band and how they operate and how they write songs. I just think that like these songs are not desperate like some bands get when they need to feel like they need to write a hit yeah. or they need to produce it. They're not desperate sounding pop songs. Just knowing the the, the band and, and Laura and the guys, and you find this in a lot of musicians, like everybody listens to everything and everybody likes pop music and everybody likes punk and everybody likes metal and everybody likes rap. And you know what I mean? It's just, they just like music. Yeah. And so it's not surprising to me that they were able to produce a record that uh, had a vicious pop sensibility without feeling desperate. It's not a desperate sounding like, please like us. We really want to be rock stars. Like there's nothing about it. I feel like it's still like on their terms, but trying, trying it out, like trying out being very conscious of writing something that is, uh, that could be consumable. So you have Butch Vig, you have all this kind of production. And I, I really do agree with you that like, it doesn't sound try hard and you get stuff like a chorus, like because of the shame I associate with vulnerability, I am numbing myself completely. Can you hear me right now? I watched your mother bury you today with tears in her eyes. It wasn't her words that shook me, but the re- resemblance you shared, that's a very against me lyric across the board that you could have heard on, on a first record. That's a, mm-hmm. it's I keep, I bring it up a lot, but it's sort of like, that's a string of sentences you would write in a paragraph of of a book, not necessarily stanzas in a chorus, you know? Yep. That's On their terms, on her terms, you know, it's it's all still there. It's just shined up. It's just given an, a, a new suit, a new dress. And it is uh, it's a great sounding record. Yeah. You know, and bringing in, um, you know, George from Hot Water. George is a great drummer. Yeah. You know, and fit in really well. And I think the whole operation just really works. Like being obviously, you know, forest from the trees and all that shit. But like, I I really thought that the outcome of this record was going to be different, you know, and like it would like it would hit harder. Yeah, it would have hit harder, you know, 
I guess the joy of it in general is that it's just like, if you're a fan of against me, it's just another good against me record, mm -hmm. you know, that you can go back and listen to or find after you've kind of abandoned them and come back to and be like, Oh, what was I thinking? This record fucking smokes, yeah. you know, like it's <clears throat> again, whatever, how I feel about personally, just like what I like in music and what I don't like in music. Like, I just know that again, they're a good band. And right. they're 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 a good band, and they're an incredible live act, which is really where they made their bones. For sure, you know, like I haven't seen them in in a, a long time. Um, but the thing that I always know is that like, it's a fucking total smoke show, you know, when it no, when no, it no. happens. You know, they're an incredible they're you know incredible live band. Like even the iterations, like losing Andrew during trans trans uh, gender dysphoria blues, and and getting the swedish kid whose name i can't remember um you know who's also a great performer but andrew is such a great yeah, presence yeah. you know on stage that like really i think like if you hear it against me record and you think yeah that's cool you know whatever i like punk or i like rock music or whatever but if you see that music live yeah it's a whole different operation you know how the crowd reacts to them and just the charisma of the of the band and how they perform I had, you know, I had, yeah I some really you know, formative formative experiences at against me shows around that that time or mid that's mid awesome late, yeah. mid late 2000s yeah um can you i get that this is alluding to weather but like whether it's florida or whether it's just it i i know what like a high high pressure low like is this actually a term do you know not, not um, yes I, it not is that you're here for that but yeah i think it is a weather term and i think it probably has to do with how fucking hurricanes always want to hit florida but i'm not positive of that but i'm pretty sure I've never really looked into it, but that's another great song on the record too. That's one of my you know? favorite. I think that's that's up there with being my favorite. And I think it does, like you just said, like hurricanes hitting Florida and stuff. I'm like, I don't know what it is. And I'm originally from California. And maybe that, maybe like songs about California and things like that can have like some kind of like exotic feel to people. I think I encountered that a little bit with the Jackson Brown one because he writes about Los Angeles a lot and everything. But the yeah. these conversations about like these visuals of Florida, whether it's like driving down and seeing girls with ponytails running through St. Augustine. Ponytails swinging back and forth behind beach blonde college girls out for a jog. St. Augustine, shine your light down. Or weather references and things. And Against Me does it a lot. She does it really well. And this song in, in particular has me just like, it's like I long for Florida even while thinking florida probably sucks but i don't actually know that i don't i don't i don't i have no i mean i'm being told two things in the world i'm being told <laughs> yeah. by the world that florida sucks yeah but i'm also i mean my only trip to florida was three days in orlando in a hotel that's all i got okay well that doesn't count um yeah. but because orlando in itself is the the kind of the worst that florida has to offer i um i'll never go back i'll never live there yeah. mostly because my wife doesn't want to but if she all of a sudden wanted to move back to Tampa, I would move back to Tampa in a second. I love Florida. I don't love the weather, obviously. I will never wear shorts in my life because shorts are not uh, appropriate men's fashion. And so like 
never maybe in my teens in my early 20s like i did but i you know there's a certain point in time where i'm like i'm never wearing shorts again because shorts no one wants to see a dude's legs unless they're the most amazing legs in the world and none of us have those so i'm not, I'm uh, not gonna i'm not gonna argue with you i'll respect you <laughs> yeah but and also i wear all black so that's not really helpful in florida either but i love florida i love how criminal florida is I love how disgusting of a place it is. I love that it's essentially like the the absolute landscape visual of a shit shined. You know, the term yeah. you know, shining a piece of shit. I just I'm I'm a fan. Um there's no other place in America that has this off-kilter personality whether it a, a, a anywhere inside of florida whether it be the beautiful beaches of miami beach where there's a bunch of rich people doing things that none of us will even know about because none of us will ever be that rich to the trailer parks at florida where you're fighting clan members you know like i love i just love the vibe love you know I, think, I love it i think my my thing i said there about knowing it's a piece of shit i think we said the same thing it's like it's a piece of shit all shined up and beautiful and i want to go yep i want to go be at it <laughs> yeah i want to go be at it i like i said in a fucking second if my wife was all of a sudden like you know what dude let's go to tampa i'd be like yeah, of course yeah. let's leave all this bullshit behind i'm gonna go i'm gonna go back to florida i'm gonna be mad because mm -hmm. i wear pants but mm -hmm. i just like the atmosphere i like well, the that vibe the, you know? the thing I like about this is that it's is mostly an audio podcast, but but I picture you choosing between Florida and this dungeon with this guy behind you. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good pick. Well, I, you know, I would also pick I would also take L.A. because um, yeah. that's where my wife is from. But also like L.A. to me is like Florida. It's extremely criminal mm -hmm. and, it, and it's a shit shined, you know, and yeah. because you've got basically the center of the world there, which is Hollywood, you know, and like. Yeah, yeah. This glamour, and then obviously, obviously, you have Skid Row, which is a, a city unto itself. But yeah, I yeah, I would basically take Florida or a dungeon. Yeah. a thing on high pressure low like talking about it's like it's like these visuals of like florida weather type stuff and like scenery rubbed up against like sort of like kind of visuals of war and then direct references to robert mcnamara and stuff yeah. and i have a funny it, i didn't i missed this record when it first came out so i'm trying to think about the timing of it but i worked at a small town newspaper in california and i was it was my first job in that in that world and and I was going to go out and do literally the first story I was ever going to write. And it was like, I'm going to talk about this to this guy about his like farming operation. Like it was like an ag country. And it was like, sort of, I think, I think the guy had gone to Cuba to study like how they like gardened in like these communities and was bringing that back. And, and so I'm going to interview this guy. And then she goes, my editor, Deborah, who I loved, she's like, just don't, oh yeah, don't, don't ask him about his dad. And I was like, 
what do you mean? And then, and so then she's like, this guy's name, this guy, and I'm, I'm a broad strokes understand history, but I didn't know who Robert McNamara was yet. Really. I knew, but this guy was Craig McNamara. It was Robert McNamara's son. So then uh-huh. I was just like, all I'm like suddenly deep diving in the 2010 version of Wikipedia, learning about yeah. like the fog of war and Robert McNamara and everything. Yeah. yeah, And yeah, yeah. it is all I wanted to interview that guy about. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's all i wanted to talk about is like i don't care about your walnut trees anymore i want to talk yeah. about i want to talk about growing up under robert mcnamara household yes, Yeah. Were you, when you like, when they're making this album, how aware are you of like, they got a literal lawsuit on their ass, which is, which was like part of what some of the pressure was, I think something to do with like previous management and Warren leaving the band. Like, are you existing totally separate with that? Just interfacing with Laura? Are you aware of like the, the, this juncture for them? Like, Oh, I'm, I'm a part of all of it. Um, at least like I'm not in the trenches fighting yeah. the war but i'm i'm aware of everything going down whether it be the the lawsuit with the manager because i was um i was involved i was in, i knew their manager pretty well and um i did the logo for the management team you know what i mean i you know once i started once i was around during new wave you know their manager whose name i won't say because it'll be like beetlejuice and he'll show up um we say it so many times it'll be over um and i don't really i don't want to give any weight to his name but you know had me you know doing stuff for his company you know like like a new logo like designing a business card so you know i was friendly with them and then i've got a great story about him is that when that falls apart when he when that all goes nuclear and they separate from him as a manager flash forward to a couple months later and it's around this time uh right before it's before white crosses i was in new york it was before i moved to san francisco and i uh was taking a plane to la uh for for work from new york and i saw him like milling about the the gate and i was like oh no like uh don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't notice me. And I got on the plane and I was sitting there and I had a seat next to me and the whole plane was filling up. And I was like, hell yeah, dude. Like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got, I got an empty seat next to me and this fool walks up to me and he sits next to me. No, no. And I was like, out of all the seats and all the planes of the world, <laughs> the person who's suing the band that I work for <laughs> oh my God, is about to sit next to me. So we have some awkward conversation, you know? Oh, I don't know if you heard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And also he, there was a couple of bands in his roster that like I had kind of burnt bridges with a little bit. Again, I'm not really easy to work with and I'm, and I will bounce on a project halfway through if I'm just not feeling it, no matter, because most of the time I can, because there is no real money involved. And so it's not ever a crisis of faith. I'm just like, all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I don't fucking want to do this. And I'll just walk away and I'll abandon things. I'm 
just because whatever to warding for anybody who ever wants to hire me, I will walk away from your fucking project halfway through. There's something really admirable about the, the, the certainty with which, you know, yourself with which, you know, (laughs) I appreciate judgment of your own art and your judgment of your own work ethic and all of it. It's very, I'm extremely lazy. So there's that too. You're, you're, you're liberated from some certain, (laughs) I appreciate you saying that, but I, I just, it's because I don't, it's because I'm not a real artist. Or let me rephrase. Um, I always say this. I'm I'm a hobbyist for art because I, in order for me to say, in order for me to confidently say that I'm an artist in any capacity, would mean that I'd be I'd be a professional artist who, who lived off of his own work, which I do not. Okay. You know, and I never have. So to me, I'm a hobbyist who likes art. I am an artistic leaning hobbyist, but in no way am I an artist, and I don't consider my work to be some extension of my personality or, and I goof on a lot of artists and I know you can't goof on people who have emotions and trauma or mental health issues. But like, I find the artist who says that they have to create art because it's part of them and they'll go crazy if they don't. And all this, I, you could fucking miss me on all that bullshit, all that <laughs> talk. I think it's super corny. I understand and I understand every person is different and their chemical makeup is different, but that won't stop me from making fun of you for saying that you, yeah, you anywhere your, in my earshot, you, you know, have, so, you have your truth too. Yeah. So like, I'm just like, yo, shut up. So I don't think like that about art. So I could take it or leave it. A lot of my art viewpoint about making art is extremely mercenarial. You know, I'm, if the money's right, I'll work for anybody, but the money's never really that right. So most of the time I'm just like, I know I can walk away. Yeah. You know, like, because did it, did it, it doesn't literally, matter. You got you got paid by Sire to do white crosses. Is that literally like the demarcation line to like there's there's no more money in this after that period of yes. time? There's zero money in it. Yeah. You know, and so then you've got to like adjust your mindset to just be like, okay, well, maybe I do just I you know, everyone needs a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody can use a thousand dollars. And so essentially, like records now or records after that from any size band. Is usually like you're getting paid about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars tops to design a record, and for me, like I I design the record from the from the ground up. I'm not just like here's a cover, figure it out. You know what I mean? Usually I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do the layout, I'm gonna do yeah. typesetting for the lyrics, I'm gonna make the whole thing like a visual package because why not? But that is the last time that I think like that's kind of like the that's the true bottom falling. I mean. I think my understanding is like against me's fucking record deal with Warner brothers is one of the last record deals to, to even be a good, a good deal, you yeah, know, it's... for, for bands. So I think it's like one of the last signings I, I, that was like ever like, yeah, here's a bunch of money up front. You know what I mean? Like to go do some stuff. Like people don't get that anymore. It's the, it's know? the conclusion ending point in Dan's book. And yes, that's yes. not accidental. <laughs> that's yes, like, that's... totally. Exactly. Yes. That's yeah. I forgot about Dan's. I, I didn't forget about Dan's book, but yes, like maybe that's where I'm, I'm, I'm aping this echo of information from. Um, You're telling me, man, I'm, I'm, I'm spending, like, I've like deliberately not been reading tranny and deliberately not looking back at sellout to avoid. I'm just like, this is, this is pure. That's all in there. I'm going to credit that as much as I possibly can. But the last thing I want to do is read that and then basically recite it as mine. Yeah. Not, <laughs> can't do it so we're gonna we're gonna miss some shit but that's just how it's gonna be that's just how it's gonna be um but yeah so whatever i was saying i said i'll walk away oh so yeah with this 
with this idiot on the plane, the manager, uh, he had kind of goofed on me because he had, he had signed a gaslight anthem to be part of his, his yeah. you know, he was the manager. And I worked a little with gaslight. I tried to work with a little bit with gaslight and I just didn't, it wasn't anything that like, it was no arguments. There was no issue. Like, like there was no blow up. I just didn't like Brian, you know, I just <laughs> like, didn't like his bit. We had a couple email conversations met once like at a show. And I was like, like, I don't really like his whole, like, you know, rat pack through Bruce Springsteen, like stage yeah. banner thing. I was just like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like it. I don't like, I did I definitely, I definitely didn't like the band. So like, I, I like walked away from that. And I think they had just signed that capital deal or something like that. And, uh, and, and that manager was like, Oh, you blew that one. And I was like, yeah, but your band sucks, bro. So like, did I blow it? And obviously that, did all that shit didn't work out for him in the long run either mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um but yeah that's a funny story about that manager so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm usually like I, at that time i was so laura and i probably talked or emailed like every day or yeah frequently enough from new wave to white crosses because they were so busy there was no real time off yeah. and i was constantly doing shirts or posters or single art or whatever yeah, that, shirts, like, shirts for 12 songs that's amazing that's a big yeah big job. yeah it was huge yeah it was huge i mean i probably didn't have anything else going on so whatever and i was very not hungry but enthusiastic to see where it would go because obviously with when new wave happened i mean they were they were they were positioning him to be this huge band yeah and they were already a huge band essentially they were not as not really in this position but they were a sort of like in the same position that green day was when they sucked selling yeah. out shows everybody loved them you know, like, and then they were like, okay, well, we're going to sign to, you know, reprise or whatever. And then against me was in that position where they, everybody loved against me, even though they were on fat, you know, they were still packing 2000, you know, 2000 person spaces and shit, you know, it was, yeah. it was a big, they were a big deal. So I think that like, you know, they, Sire was a right to sign against me because they definitely could have been a huge band mm -hmm. rather than just a band that can forever tour, like against me can, could tour and play 2,000, 3,000 K venues for their whole entire career. For, for sure. Yeah. No and doubt. that's like a great position to be in. Yeah. You know, like that's still money a night. That's still, you know, that's a, that's, a good career, you know? I'm trying to think what right then really, really was like popping off. I'm thinking, is it like, like, uh, fallout boy and my chemical romance or something? Those, cause those like yes. went stratospheric, right? That's what they hoped. Yep. That's must've been what they wanted. They, they had to, I mean, I think against me is like a little bit before that, but it's kind of in that, in that time. I think like that fallout boy record, that's really big. Um, well, their first big record. I think that's, I feel like that's 2005, 2006, maybe. I don't yeah. know. That's but I mean, some, I think but, I... but my chem, I mean, even my chemical romance wasn't as big as they are now, but yes, they were still bigger than their peers. You yeah, know, yeah. no one's, I mean, people are talking about taking back Sunday, but taking back Sunday couldn't take like 10 years off, come back and sell out fucking Madison Square Garden. But My Chemical Romance could, you Shit, know, and yeah. they did, you know, like, so it's, it's, it was, it's interesting to see like that, the, that band's whole thing. It's bizarre. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. bizarre. I think Paramore too, like Paramore is fucking gigantic. Yeah. Well, they're just like, they're the best example of like, uh, you know, securing the bag as far as like a, like a punk band, or I'm going to go ahead and air quote that, that like <laughs> gradually was like, we should have some more hits. And now they're just, 
they're just pop music. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like yeah. the 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 that little like elf that sings for him or whatever, she could talk all day long about how she's like, you know, into fucking beat down hardcore or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> she's like going on tour with Taylor Swift, and that's totally cool because listen, I will never fault anybody for securing the bag. If you can get money, get the fucking money. I don't, who kids get, dude, no one's going to remember your fucking priorities, but you're going to always remember the house you bought, you know? So like, I always, you know, whatever, sell your soul. Who cares? Cause life is too short to be poor. And if there's money on the table, you should be fucking taking it. So our, 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 our against me journey is landing exactly where, where it was always headed all along with the, with the A&R guys swirling and everything. Yeah. Cause uh, good, good on them that they did. Um, Yes, absolutely. Sweet. Well, I'm going to cut in, I'm going to cut in some songs throughout this conversation so we can get the record in, but I want to ask you a little bit about like, all right, you you say you're not an artist. Are you an author? Are you a novelist? No, no, <laughs> definitely so not. So you're not an artist. You're like a Xeroxer of skulls. Yeah, and you're uh, like a, as a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a hobbyist. You're not a novelist yet. You have a couple. You have some books, including a new one. What What are you? How do you see yourself on that front? I see myself as extremely fortunate and lucky to have found anybody who would be interested in putting out these fucking books. And I, I feel extremely fortunate and lucky to be an author, even on a low level, that anybody would want to even pick up the book and take the time with uh, reading, because reading is, it's a physical act and it takes time. Yeah. It's sedimentary in the fact that you're sitting on your ass, but it's work, yep. you know, like, and so it, to me, it's a very physical act. And I, I, I do appreciate, listen, my viewpoint on all of it is, is that like I punk everybody and I say the work sucks and I goof and I whatever, but I also like, I appreciate that people like it. Yeah. I'm just on the ground floor. So I know that nobody should. So like I, but I, I will definitely, when somebody says something nice about anything that I ever do, I'm not going to be an asshole about it because I'm not that sort of asshole. I'm a different kind of asshole. Like I'm a fucking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a son of a bitch, but I'm like not a bastard, you know? So like, <laughs> I'm going to be polite about it. Yeah. Um, but, but in general, and I, you know, and people take the time and they say nice things to me and other younger artists have, you know, mentioned like to me in DMS or emails or in person, like, you know, that they are uh, influenced by what I've done either for against me or combat or Adam and his package or whatever, or any work that I've done in between there. And I appreciate that. And I, and I, I'm not humbled by it because to be humbled, you have to, you know, have a certain kind of investment in the work that you do, but I, but I appreciate the, 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 the idea because I was influenced by people and I punish people who yeah. I've been influenced by and whose work I love, you know, even if they're not an influence on me, if I see somebody whose work I love, I'm, I send fan mail. I'm just a fan mail machine. I love art of you all do. kinds. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love art, uh, movies, books, Maybe not music, but dance, film, theater. You know what I mean? Like, the, no one will ever get an email of me for because their record is cool. That will never happen. But like, but but the art of creating in general, I'm usually very excited. And my, I've always been that way about about art and other artists. I'm I'm a huge you know uh, patron of the arts, and I always send emails if something's resonated with me or you know or tell people. But so, but in general, like, 
I find that I art is whatever, but the writing is tough because writing is also really hard of an act. Yeah. And to me, it is the most strict and, and, and very, um, it's the probably the art that I respect the most because writing is hard. Writing it's, a book is fucking hard. It's hard. It's like, it's hard. It's and to make it good. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That is tough. I mean, do it, you, it, do you, as you're doing it, do you have the sort of like, Oh my God, I fucking hate myself. This is awful. Or are you kind of just no. at peace with the thing? No, no, no. I'm never really like that. I'm never self-deprecating about it because I think that a lot of it is white noise for me creating. I know when something's good. I know when something is lazy and I know when something's bad and I will show it to everybody because it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Obviously some of the record covers that I've done are just miserably bad, but I'm just like, whatever, that's fine. Who cares? Can can you give the little, the little, uh, sort of elevator tagline for the holy day that's the book by yeah. the way which is out the new book is called the holy day it is on rose books which everyone can get it from rosebooks.co which is run by chelsea hodson chelsea hodson in her own right is a brilliant writer and obviously because she put my book out and jeff rickley's book out she's somebody with impeccable taste <laughs> and um the book is called the holy day and it is a about a former teen detective who goes on vacation to die yes which is just the the log line for it and the synopsis and everything else. Now, is the book really about that? No, not at all. There's probably nothing in the book that even resembles that log line. <laughs> so how I write, I think is a little different than a lot of people because I don't care about plot. I don't care about story. I do care about atmosphere and I like writing atmosphere quite a bit. So with this book, it's far more linear than my last book, which was called Hunchback 88, which is just just splattered shit on a wall. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean like good shit, but it's like a nightmare. It's, it's just, it's just a, it's an artifact. It's a bunch of art. It's a bunch of weird stuff that like kind of can be strung together, but it's more just like atmospheric writing that is horrific. Right. So with the holy day, no, go ahead. What was you going to say? Is this your move from you made, you made your Pulp Fiction. Now you're making your Jackie Brown or not quite. Well, that's really, that's really funny that you say that because that's actually how I've been describing it. I've been describing it as Hunchback 88, uh, if I'm doing it in terms of how people make movies, um, which is how I view almost all of my art is through movies in some way, is that uh, Hunchback 88 was my scrappy indie and The Holy Day is my first studio picture. Now, the person I relate that more to than anything else, and I will never, I always say this when I'm saying this, is that I would never in my fucking life ever really actually uh, equate myself with this artist, but it's like David Lynch. David Lynch made Eraserhead and then he made Elephant Man. Yeah. You know, like that kind of journey, like between doing something like Elephant Man, which is, I mean, doing uh, Eraserhead, which is a, a, a true nightmare of a movie that's crazy and not linear and a bunch of weird shit. And then to do the Elephant Man, which still, which has a, some sort of spine, even though it's all that David Lynch bullshit mixed in, there is a story there. Mm-hmm. But it's still weird and it's still a David Lynch thing and it's still a little like ramshackle because he's coming from experimental film, you know? Yeah. I, I mean that's that's the that's the equate that's the, that's how I equated uh scrappy indie to my first studio picture. It know? it fucking matters because if you just if you just pluck against me from from nowhere and they just have new wave and white crosses without crime ep and reinventing axel rose and all that you're hearing it differently you know like the fact that they made those things they went on that journey and that journey leads here makes these ones more interesting because if you just make those ones 
I don't know that that artistic journey is fucking cool. No, it is. If you can understand, not necessarily your worth, but like open your path, which is God, guys sounds sound like a fucking hippie. Um, open like your open, path is going to be my caption for the yeah for the... yeah please please <laughs> like open open your path to walk through and not let anything get in your way as far as like uh, self doubt or uh, hearing other people's chatter in your ears of what you shouldn't be doing. You know, yeah. there's some rocks you're always going to have to climb over. You know, but if you're I just create head down and just start running, yep. you know, and that's kind of how I was, I've, I've done it. There has been, there's always been like ulterior motives and, but like there's never been a day in my life where I thought to myself, even though I took it seriously for a couple of years that I'm ever going to do anything, but other than have a day job and then Xerox skulls at night or occasionally write pieces of a book at night or write scripts um, for fun at my day job on a lunch break, you know, like I, nothing's ever going to come out of this. I'm never going to live off of it. That's that's the if life I, you're living. That's the life you're living right now. Yeah. If I if if it ever happened, that's great. But I I'm not I can't chase it because that would mean I'd care more than I do, and I can only really operate on a thirty percent care for this stuff because I don't really care. But I got to care enough. That thirty percent is more about how my respect for whoever is actually paying me to do it. Yeah, yeah. Or in the case of the holy day, like like I took the holy day very seriously. Once Chelsea came on board because Chelsea's a friend, she's a real fucking author. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like she's really got like, and she's cool and she's a friend. So like, I couldn't just be me like and do what I normally do, which is like kind of fuck around and be a little asshole, you know, like yeah. a 46 year old fucking diaper baby. I had to be very respectful. And so that 30% is good for me to have like that 30% caring about the work is good to have in the situations with Chelsea. Who sure. knew what she was walking into? Because she's we've been friends for, you know, I've been friends with her husband for like over 30 years, but I've known Chelsea for about a good 15. Yeah. You know, or like maybe, maybe a little bit less than that, but in general. So she knows my bullshit. And I think she was surprised how much I played ball. Like she thought she thought it could have gone worse. <laughs> well, not necessarily worse, but but everything that she asked me to do was under with like with a little bit of like a listen, I know it's not your thing, and you can tell me to screw but would you do this? And I'd be yeah, like, yeah. yeah, 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 I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that That's because, because cool. we're in, we're friends, but ultimately to circle back to what you're saying, no, I don't consider myself an author. I just a guy who wrote a couple books and I think that they're good. I think that they are, I consider them to be part of the pieces of things that I've done for steak mountain or other things that I've done that nobody not necessarily doesn't know about, but like, you know, that maybe I've been involved with that I just don't publicize so much that like, I think is cool. I think the yeah. books are cool. They're fun to do. They're hard. They Well, how I write, it's not hard, but I understand that writing is hard, which is why I said it. Cause I know it's hard for people. And I know it's hard to, to, and if you care about the work that you're doing, I understand it makes it even harder. I see. I see. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if you're like really, or you're banking on it, like that's your dream. Like I would never disrespect anybody who really wants to do the thing you know so i yeah. would never call myself an author because i am such a little dick about shit like that that i would never want to insult <laughs> people to... who really want to be authors yeah who really yeah. who like really are drawn to writing and that's the same thing for art and anything you know like i've just been extremely fortunate in all my years of putting in the time to get to this point where Somebody wanted to put out the first book and then they wanted to reissue it. And then Chelsea wanted to put out this new book. That's awesome. I'm extremely lucky. 
And part of that is because I Xerox skulls for 30, 30 years that people even kind of care. Yeah, that's that's coming. I mean, that that avenue for the, for at least the, the recent book is basically punk scene kind of, right? Rose Books is of the punk scene sort of? Yes. Like that's the that's essentially like the lineage. Like, like Chelsea would never in her life call herself a punk. And I don't think that she's essentially like that's not necessarily her background. Yeah, probably, but, not, probably not accurate statement. But her husband is a fucking legend. Yeah. His, uh, this guy named Mark McCoy, who uh, was in uh, the hardcore band uh, Charles Bronson. He was in Das Oath. But I, 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 I'm not, this is not hyperbole in any capacity. I think that Mark McCoy as an artist, as a creative on any single level of everything that he touches is a pure genius. He is the only person I know who I will say is a genius. I know tons of smart people. I know tons of people who think that they're smart. But I don't know any true creative geniuses of extreme purity, except Mark McCoy. Damn. He's he's just the fucking best. And he's been that way since we were kids. And, you know, as a person who's in my age group now, obviously, we grew up together, like, in dis- in, di- in different cities, in different bands, in different scenes. But we knew each other because we were both in fucking hardcore bands of a certain era. And uh, he's just the best. So adjacently it is connected to the punk world because yeah, of mark because of mark yeah. you know what i mean and like maybe chelsea and i would never have crossed paths i mean in the book the books are you who has worked a lot in that world and and the singer of thursday i mean yeah rickley yeah but her next books are not so much the next books planned are well out of our world and into the world of very interesting couple of books that she's got planned that she's not announced one she's announced which is uh ashley gonzalez who is uh writing a book of poetry and Ashleya is her not claim to fame, but her job, her day job is she is Kendall Jenner's uh, agent for her modeling. Right. So that's not even kind of in our world. He's, he's getting her bag. I'm certain. (laughs) Yeah. No, she's definitely, (laughs) Ashley is definitely securing her bags. That bag is secured because she lives in Paris. So, (laughs) you know, but, but so, yeah, but, but I think it started because like, well, and also like maybe not even any of that, you know, but like Jeff's book is good, you know? Yeah. I've heard, I've and my, heard that about Jeff's book and your book. Yeah, and yeah. I listened to, I listened to, I listened to an interview probably the first time in a few years where I've listened to a, a Mark Marin podcast episode, but I, I really like Bernie Toppin's lyrics, the lyricist for Elton John. Sure. And so I was like, Oh, he's interviewing Bernie Toppin. I'll, I'll throw that on. I need something to like fill the silence in my head. And, mm-hmm. and it was fucking funny because Bernie Toppin wrote a book. He wrote like a memoir and like, Mark Maron did a good job early on of of giving the sense that he'd read the book. And then sure. like midway through Bernie Toppin's like, yeah, and my daughter, she's at the University of Texas or whatever. She's an even better, she's an even better like cowgirl than I am, like like riding horses and stuff like that. And then you get this moment where where Mark Maron's like, so wait, she you you ride horses, you blah blah. And he's like, Mark, half my book is about being getting is about becoming like a fan of of like country western horse riding shit. And then Mark uh-huh. Maron just like, I can't. He, he totally said earlier in the interview that he read the book, and then he's just like, I can't just read all these books with all these people coming on. It's better that I didn't. Re- I don't know. It's fucking great. My my impression of Mark Maron is, and and I got this impression. I can't remember who it was maybe Laura was on Maron's thing. I know Laura was on Brett's analysis thing. Yeah, but like. Mark just has Wikipedia open. Damn, yeah. You know what I mean? He's just got a screen open with all the information. You know what yeah. I mean? So he's very good at being like just a drive time radio guy who's just like, oh, another band's coming through. 
and be like, yeah. "Whoa, yeah. tell me about yourselves." You know, he's mm. a great. He's got a lot of charisma, but I've seen him. I've I, I listen to him over the years. I don't listen to him often, but I've listened to enough to see him like just fumble like that. Yeah, like that interview. You know, where you're just like, dude. <laughs> I just like his his flipped response was. Actually, oh, Bernie, fuck. actually, Bernie, if I had read your book, I would just be asking you leading questions about your book by not reading your book. I'm ha- having a more pure interview with you, which I was like simultaneously like, damn, what a fucking wiggle out. But also that might, there might be some truth to that. That's because it's worked out for him so much. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. done thousands of interviews where he's definitely not. We just was winging it. Yeah. You know, and he's. The biggest pod, he's one of the biggest podcasters ever who's sure. made a career being a mediocre comedian and being a great interviewer. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's worked out for him. Sweet. Well, Christopher, any anything else we should touch on before I let you go on and have your wide open Sunday? Let's see. Um, everybody buy the holy day from rosebooks.co. We will link to it. Yeah, I have uh there's a couple of Combat Wounded Veteran vinyl reissues coming out from Dark Operatives sometime in middle 2024, I think, um, where they're all redesigned. And I take whatever was good about the art in those records and I've reversed it and made them unsellable. And <laughs> that's been actually extremely, that these will be my masterpieces. Um, and then uh, something I've resisted for quite a long time, which is a, a like kind of a monograph of Stake Mountain work. Um, like an art book that's coming down the pipeline probably later 2024 it's called jerks on paper and it is coming out on a with an x uh books which is a, a guy named john nix out of cleveland i know cleveland and he's from ohio he's yeah. a great author and photographer in his own right and he's been putting out people's books he's been putting out a lot of cool books um so he's going to do that that book is going to be also agitated and confrontational and this a pain is, in the ass this is know? a lot of this is a lot of uh creative expression maybe you don't want that term to be put on it but that's a lot of stuff to organize in your mind like at the end of your day job how do you decide which one to fuck around with on a given day um Heart, whatever's, deadlines? whatever's yeah yeah whatever's due soonest is yeah. usually like i'm like oh fuck fuck you know and yeah. and usually or whatever's gonna pay me you know so yeah with the jerks on paper book, which is funny, uh, is that like John and I talked about it two years ago and I've not done any work on it and I'm going to start doing work on it. So it's time, it's time, you know, and we, I have a whole plan on how it's going to be and it's going to be extremely funny for me. I don't know if it's going to be funny for anybody else, including John, but, but yeah, no, uh, most of the time I don't, and I don't actually have a very heavy day job. I have the world's easiest day job. So that also helps. Yeah. Um, I work for uh Vice Vice, the magazine yeah. or whatever, the stupid company. And like yeah. I don't I don't the fail the totally failed company, yeah, Vice. Um, it's not doing too well. I can tell see, you that. Um, seeming, seeming pretty rough these days. It is definitely pretty rough. And so my job there is not hard. So I'm actually pretty very fortunate that I don't have to work hard at all in life. So for until vice fails and i have to find a real job um until i'm like a 46 year old with no skills other than xeroxing skulls and i'm like somebody hire me burger king you're gonna hard you're gonna hard hard pivot to self-declared novelist and artiste at that yeah sure sure and then i'll 
move to the cheapest place in America so that my wife and I can survive um, because no one's going to pay me for that. It's, it's, so <laughs> anyway, so that's it. That's it. I'm going to, I'll let you, I'll let you go. Tight. Well, um, people, I think, I think it's cool to know that like, thank you so much for coming on this because course, from this point, for from, yeah. from about this point forward, you have white crosses, transgender dysphoria blues, shapeshift with me. You did the art on tranny as well, right? Is that you? Yeah. Yeah. That was the, me. The book like that. This is it's the visuals are heavy on steak mountain from this point forward. And so I think that's very cool. And yeah. love that you were able to come on. Yeah. Dude, thanks for having me. Uh, people, where, where can people find you on the internet? If, if, if that's Oof. there. Uh, yeah, sure. It's, it's steakmountain.com And that mountain is M T N like the national abbreviation of it. Do not spell steak mountain out. Cause you'll just get some weird place in fucking Japan. That's like a restaurant called steak mountain. <laughs> um, and then that carries over to all the socials where you'll find not a whole lot from me because I'm not a fucking 20 year old. I don't really give a fuck. I just post when I have something to promote. I'm not Love out there it. showing anybody my dogs or what food I ate or what cool show I saw or what terrible reunion that shouldn't have happened. I'm at, you know, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, cool. Everybody went to see botch. Why? Um, <laughs> why? Why? So anyways, I'm, in, <laughs> you know, but they could find me there and they could follow me for what will now probably be a lot of silence because my time promoting the holiday is over. Until the until time, these other so. until these other things come out and maybe you'll put until these... them and this is your way yeah. to know. So sweet. Yes. I like it. All right. Well, thank you, man. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at delugepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show's creation, go to patreon.com slash after the deluge. That email address and that link are both in the show notes. Transgender Dysphoria Blues is up next. I recorded the interview this morning. It's great. Can't wait to share it.